Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. When I say the word evangelism, what comes to mind for you? If I say the word evangelist, what's the picture that gets formed in your mind? Quickly think about that. Is it a very charismatic and well-known celebrity pastor standing in a stadium of people and shouting, repent? Is that the picture you get? Is it someone, you know, on a bus preaching at people? Or maybe, you know, those people standing on a street corner handing out pamphlets and Bibles. Is that the picture that you maybe see? Maybe the picture that you see is a group of people going across the borders with their passports in hand and going to the nations to go and win people for God. What's your picture of evangelism? Now ask you another question. Is it possible that your definition of the word evangelism might be limited? Is it possible that the reason why so many of us are so intimidated by this idea of evangelism, that I have to do evangelism, please Lord, no. Is it possible that the reason why we're intimidated by that is just because we've got the wrong understanding of the word evangelism? You see, I think all of us, you know, Christians in church generally, we'll agree that evangelism is important. Anyone that disagrees with that? Probably not, right? Evangelism is important. It's great. It should happen. The church should do it. Therefore, God should raise up the evangelists to go and do that. And God, you'll use me for something else. Anyone else feel like that, right? We, we think that's very important, but I think probably 80 or 90% of us would think that that reference excludes us. It's like evangelists are the extroverted Christians, you know, the Christians like, like Yandere and Abel, like you guys like talking, so you'll make great evangelists, right? Or we think that, you know, evangelists, evangelism is for, for those very gifted Christians that got like this double measure of the Holy Spirit, like Tamara, like she's, she just has it, right? Like you have to be a special Christian in order to be an evangelist. We sometimes think that, no, evangelism is for the professional Christians. Now, what's a professional Christian? It's someone that works for the church, right? I mean, that's why you study theology, isn't it? Right? But for most of us, we think, well, evangelism is for the evangelist, but please, Lord, not for me. We don't include ourselves in that reference. Well, today I want to come and challenge your mindset on evangelism. And my, my focus for tonight is simply this. I want to convince you that you are probably already busy being used as an evangelist right now. You just don't know it. But I want to convince you after tonight that evangelism is for everyone. Just quickly, would you please just tell someone next to you, evangelism is for everyone. And then you follow that up with even you. Even you. You see, Here's the thing, if you look at the New Testament, some of the characters that God used to, to expand his kingdom was people like Peter. Now Peter, I mean, there's statues about Peter and, and Peter, we think about him like he's a great evangelist, right? So he preached this one sermon, 3,000 people came to salvation, amazing. But Peter wasn't 
just your average Joe. He was your below average Joe. He was a fisherman. Now, I know like today when we say fisherman, we've got this very idealistic you know, picture of being a fisherman in the Bible, but it's still the same way as what it is today. You probably don't need grade seven to be a fisherman, right? It's, let me be honest. If I were God, I would not choose a fisherman to go and win people for me because they stink. I mean, you'd have that odor of catching fish. I mean, today we think about fishing. Fishing is fun. It's a great sport. Yay. No, no, but imagine, is there any one of you who knows someone that is by profession, by his career, is to fish? Every day goes out onto the sea, onto the ocean. You know someone. It's a rough life. It's not easy. It's not the type of person you would choose to go and expand your movement. Yet, those are the kinds of people God used. If Peter can make it, you can make it. Someone like Paul, he was very clever and educated and smart, but he killed Christians. I'm pretty sure if Paul qualifies, everyone qualifies, okay? You see, the list actually goes on. They were tax collectors. Any accountants in the house, right? (laughs) Tax collectors. Normal people like me and you. Just normal people. It wasn't great people that God used. It was a great God working through normal people. Tax collectors, they were women that were used to expand the kingdom of God. In this time of the Bible, in that cultural setting, women were seen as second-class citizens, but not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, their names are mentioned as the ones that expanded the kingdom of God. It's listed Romans chapter 16 and in the book of Acts, you'll read many names of women that churches met in their houses. Ministries moved forward because of the ministry of women. Those that were disqualified, God says, I'm going to use them. The tax collectors, they were, they were women, they were business owners, they were historians and some more fishermen. Normal people like you and me, like the person sitting next to you were used. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It's going to be your new favorite verse after tonight. So it goes as follows. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's that simple, friend. If you've been with Jesus, you've got something to share. Unschooled, ordinary men. That's the story of the Bible. It's not a story of great men and women. It's a story of unschooled ordinary men and women and how this movement expanded and God was actually sitting behind it all. Now, the thing about evangelism, it's easy to talk about what you're passionate about, right? Anyone ever found that? How many of you have ever made the mistake of asking someone about CrossFit? (laughs) You know what they say about CrossFit? Uh, CrossFit workout. It starts in the gym and it ends on Facebook, right? And you know the rules of CrossFit. The first rule of CrossFit, you always talk about CrossFit. The second rule of CrossFit, you always talk about CrossFit, right? There's another meme about someone saying they lost 45 minutes of their life when they asked someone about that. Maybe not CrossFit, but anyone recently spoke to a vegan, right? It's like there's a meme, like if, when, when a vegan hasn't told anyone in eight minutes, they just want to burst. Or let me ask, tell you a joke. Um, why did the vegan cross the road? 
to tell someone that she's a vegan. There's a school in Bloemfontein. And you would think that, that the teachers teach the kids that they need to tell everyone in which school they are. It's actually not the truth. They, they actually tell the kids, you need to be modest, modest, modest about it, but they're just so passionate about it, they can't help themselves. You guys know what school I'm talking about, right? Jim Fushia, yeah. Someone's saying, Nia. <laughs> Point is this, if you discover something that's life-changing, you can't but share it. Now, here's the thing about evangelism. Evangelism wasn't this thing that they did in the New Testament. It wasn't like part of my spiritual disciplines. I must make sure I must do my evangelism today. I mustn't forget to do my evangelism today. It wasn't something the early Christians did. It was who they were. It was just a part of who they were. It's just sharing this desire to want other people to also taste the goodness of God. God changed my life. And I just want other people to also experience His love and His, His grace. It's not something they did. It's who they were. So if it is supposed to be that natural, right, why is it so hard? You'll say, okay, it sounds good, Abel, but why is it so hard to do evangelism or to see myself as an evangelist? I am convinced that the reason why we find it so hard is simply because we've got a very narrow and very limited definition of what evangelism is. And that's what I'm going to try and do tonight, is try and expand your definition and your understanding of what evangelism is, and hopefully in that paradigm shift, You'll walk out here encouraged, knowing that you are part of God's evangelistic efforts in this world. Now, the first shift, the first shift that you need to make, and this is the most important shift. I'll talk about it now, and then I'll end off speaking about it again. This is the, the big point for the sermon. This is the shift. Is you need to understand that you are not the evangelist. God is. You are not the real evangelist. God is the true evangelist. Let me quickly ask you this question. In the book of Acts, right? So Acts is this book that comes straight after the Gospels. And it literally is telling the stories of how more and more people started serving Jesus. How the church movement expanded and just grew from Jerusalem into all that whole area all across the world. So it just tells that story, the story of evangelism. Who is the main character in the book of Acts? You can even ask the question, who's the main character in the New Testament? Is it Peter? Because I mean, you know, Peter preached to 3,000 people. He was the leader of the church at one stage. Is James the main character? You know, he's also an important character in the book of Acts. Was it John? Is it Paul? Paul, I mean, he's probably the character that was written about most his whole conversion story and how he planted all of those churches. Maybe Paul's the main character in the book of Acts. No, the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main actor in the book of Acts. He's the one that's busy acting. He's the one that's busy moving the church along and expanding the movement of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the biggest evangelist. 
And he's just using ordinary unschooled men at different seasons and at different situations with different friendships and with unique personalities in different phases of the story. It was the Holy Spirit that was moving all of these men and women along. And he's the main character in the book of Acts. It's very important to understand that, let me just put it this way. Is it possible that that God cares more about that friend of yours that's far away from him than what you care about that friend? Is it possible that God has got a greater concern for those who are far from God and think that they don't qualify for God and they're not good enough for God? He's got a greater concern for them than what you have. That makes God the real evangelist. And if that is the case, it takes the pressure off you. Because you're just part of the evangelistic efforts of the Holy Spirit. It's not all on you. I mean, that immediately, that changes things for me. Otherwise, I'm always going to feel guilty like I'm not good enough. But if I understand that God is the one busy working in the lives of the people around me, and He just wants to use me in one small way, that opens me up for that. Now, let me give you just three points to quickly try and help you sh- make that shift in terms of, of understanding what evangelism is. So the first one, it's actually, it's actually only two important points. Well, the, the first point is not that important. It's just to have a bit of fun. And so that's the point of how not to evangelize. So let me give you a few ways how not to evangelize. And so to do this, we've asked the Good Question Show to quickly give us two minutes of examples on how not to evangelize. You guys want to see that? Okay, let's quickly put that on the screen. Hey, hey, Franco, where are you, man? I'm here, man. Hey, what are you doing? Evangelism. No, no, dude, it, it's evangelism. Oh. Here we go. Franco, if you were to be hit by a car right now outside the building and die, where would you go? Where would you go? Hey, give me a wallet. Also, do you want to give your life to Jesus? But also, give me a wallet. See that guy over there? Hmm? He's gonna die. You're gonna die. (gasps) We're all gonna die! Repent! Repent! Oh, I'm sorry. Did I scare you? You know what else is scary? Hell. This coffee's hot. You know what else is hot? Hell. Superman might have saved the world, but you know he saved your soul. Jesus. Hello? Oh, Jesus is calling you. (laughs) Hey, 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 are you going up or down? Up, please. Okay. Speaking of up, after life, are you going up or down? No! Wait, man, this muffin is so satisfying. But you know who satisfies eternally? Jesus. Do you know who's immune to kryptonite? Please don't. Jesus. Brian, I just, just, this might be a bit straightforward, but Brian, I just feel that God loves you. I feel that, that God wants to tell you that He knows who you are, Brian. Not only God, but, but I, I want to tell you that I love you. I care for you, Brian. I really do. My name is not Brian. Someone please should just shoot me now. 
And where do you go after that? Why do I always have to play the unsaved guy? So two years ago, when myself and Brent started the Good Question Show, it was mentioned that when we get to a thousand subscriptions, that the Good Question Show team, they would love to shave my head, like that it would look like Joshua Dore. So they're only going to shave off the middle part so it looks funny. And at first it was like, yeah, that'll be funny. And then I'll just grow back my hair. But then since I started losing a lot of hair. So we had our third child and we planted a church and I lost a lot of hair. And so it's gone from like, this will be fun if we get to a thousand subscriptions, shave Obel's hair to now the whole team, the ministry team, they walk around and it's become like this charity drive. Like, please just subscribe because, you know, his hair really looks bad. I really think we need to shave it, uh, so please. So if you want to help them, you're welcome to go and subscribe. If you haven't, we're very close to reaching 1,000 subscriptions. So I want to quickly speak to you about different evangelism styles. Do you believe that God made you unique? That you are different to the person sitting next to you? Now, if that is so, it means that God can use you in a way that he can't use the person next to you. Your weirdness, your quirkiness, the, 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 your unique personality traits, the connections that you have, the friendships that you have, all of those things are unique. And that's what qualifies you to be a very, very good evangelist. Because God can use you in a certain way in someone's life that he can't use me. That's what qualifies you. I want to give you six styles of evangelism. And as I read them, uh, some of them might resonate with you and hopefully liberate you a little bit to realize that, well, God wants to use me in a different way than what he, what, what he wants to use, you know, Angus Buchan or whoever. But also, he might use you in different ways in different seasons of your life. And so one of the ways, which is the fifth style that we'll be looking at, is invitational. Invitational. So it's one of the ways is simply by inviting someone to a church event. Julia, uh, that shared her testimony, she told the story about her friend Rudy that invited her to a debate. And she went and it changed her life. My friend Theo, he invited me to church and it changed my life. It's like the Samaritan woman at the well that goes to the city and say, and she says, come and see. Just come and see for yourself. I found a man and he's changed my life and he can do the same. Just come and see for yourself. And so sometimes that's one of the easiest ways to evangelize is just by inviting a friend. But that's probably one of the ways where we get stuck. We think, well, that's the only thing I can do. So I'm going to invite my friends and then Abel, you and Eugene, you're going to preach. And that's going to be the deal. No, friend, there's more to it. There's more to it. God wants to use you in a bigger way than that. But that is still an effective way, but it's not the only way. The first style is truth-telling. And so it's like in the book of Acts, um, Peter stands up and he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Whenever the truth of God is proclaimed, it convicts hearts and people turn to Jesus. When the truth of God is spoken, it does something to us. And so truth-telling is one of the ways that evangelism takes place. And this is a way that we still do this in church. Every single Sunday, we will tell the truth. That's why it's a good place to invite your friend, because there will be truth-telling. Now, for many centuries, this style was used even in public spaces. You'd stand on a street corner and just start shouting. 
some places in the world still effective. Probably, if we're honest, in the 21st century, if you were to stand on your desk at your office or in your classroom and just start shouting, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose some friends. Right. In the 21st century. So depending on the context, within a friendship, you might be sharing the truth in a different way. But it's still the same way. It's still the fact that we proclaim the truth of God and that changes people's lives. The second way is reasoning. Second style is reasoning. And so this is like that debate that Julia was invited to by Rudy. It's in the field of apologetics. For some people, their barrier to actually start following Jesus is an intellectual barrier. They struggle to believe that they can actually be a God that is a personal God that loves me and that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so they want to have conversations about that. And so for some friends, some of you get very excited about apologetics. God wants to use you in that way also. We see this also in the book of Acts where Paul was reasoning. He was speaking to the Greeks. Then he doesn't quote scripture. He speaks to them about their gods and with good reason, he convinces them. Now, what's the win in this style? The win in this style is for the conversation to continue. For the conversation to continue. It actually says in, in Acts chapter 17, but others says, we want to hear you again on this subject. It's like, Paul, I like what you're saying. It makes sense. I want this conversation to continue. And then later, some of them started following Jesus also. And so the win in evangelism in this style is for the conversation to continue. You know what's a very good example of this? Is the Alpha course. How many of you guys are busy with the Alpha course right now? I know on campus, there's a group of students, about 50 of them, together with Franku and, and Ginger and them, you guys are doing the Alpha course. Very good questions, discussing the difficult questions of life in an environment where there's no wrong answer and people can just have a proper conversation around a meal. And so that's one of the ways that we can also evangelize. A third way of evangelizing is telling your story. It's just sharing your testimony. It's like the man in John chapter 9 that says, One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. It's like just when you share your story with someone, it brings conviction because it resonates with them because they might associate with where you were. So you say something like, I don't know how all of this works. I don't have an answer for you on how to explain Genesis chapter one or on you know, the existence of God. I don't have a good argument for that. All I know is I was lonely and now that I found Jesus, I'm not lonely anymore. I used to feel lost and now I've got a purpose in life. That's all I know. He's changed my life. What's your story? Have you ever done you know, just a bit of effort and written down your testimony. I want to encourage you to do that. Just go write down your story. What did Jesus do for you? Because God might use that in some way to convince someone else. And then the fourth style is friendship evangelism. Friendship evangelism. I oh, mean, Jesus was so good at this. He goes to Levi, a tax collector. This guy is a sinner. I mean, he's, he's just the worst. And he says, Levi, tonight we're going to feast at your house. I'm like, okay, cool. And then Levi invites all of his other sinner friends, the other tax collectors. They come together. And because Jesus is interested in them, genuinely interested in them, he spends time with them to the point where they say, Jesus, I like you. You're different to those Pharisees. I like you. You're hanging out here with us. 
tell us about this kingdom of heaven that you're always speaking about. And they're open to Jesus because he gives them his friendship. What about you? Is the world saying, oh, that Christian is just too good for us? Well, on this Friday that's coming this Saturday, are you going to invite some friends? You see, the thing is, if they don't like you, they're not going to want to listen to you. It's as simple as that. Friendship is this commodity that all of us have. We don't all have money in the bank, but we all have friendship in the bank. You can give your friendship. Some people might say no to your friendship. That's fine. Find someone else. But you can give your friendship away. Because what friendship gives you, it builds a bridge. It gives you proximity and it gives you trust. Because if you're close enough, when they're going through a tough time, they're going to speak to you about it. And you see, without that style, without friendship, the invitation is impossible. They're not going to be interested in your truth. They're not going to be interested in your story. They're not going to want to reason with you. This, in the 21st century, our friendship is one of the most powerful tools to evangelize the world. Just start there. Over the next three weeks, next week and the two weeks after that, we're going to focus on that style of evangelism. So this series is mainly going to be built around friendship evangelism and how you can grow in your friendship evangelism in the 21st century. So the first style is then invitational. And as a church, we will always do lots of effort to create opportunities where you can invite your friends. And when they come, we're going to tell them about the love of God. So you can keep on inviting them. And then the sixth one, some of you will get excited about this, is service. Service. Some people will not care about your spiritual truth if you don't consider their physical need. Some of you are not going to care about, you know, the Bible you have, scriptures in your heart, if you don't bring a bread in your hand. If there's a physical need, the way they're going to open up to us is if we come to serve. And Street Store, it's a wonderful opportunity where people are open for us to pray for them because we came to serve them. Regardless or not if, we, if they're going to allow us to pray for them or not, we came to serve. This week, uh, Oscar, he, he sent a photo of the pop-up classroom, or the pop-up class. They went through pop-up. They came for skills uh, training. I think they were trained as baristas. Is that right? They were trained as baristas. We did some life skills with them also. And then we organized, helped them with their CVs and organized interviews at McDonald's so that they can maybe find a job. You see, friend, if you help me to find a job, I might be interested about your spiritual truth, in your spiritual truth. Do you know that in Doxodeo, our pop-up sites are seeing more salvations than our church sites? Why? Because we come to serve first. So we just want to help you. Whether you're going to accept or reject Jesus, that's fine. But we want to help you. And then people are open to hear our gospel. And service is another style. So there's actually a lady in the Bible, Acts chapter 9, her name is Dorcas, which is funny because it sounds like Dork, right? But it says, Dorcas, she was always doing good and helping the poor. And actually in her story, she opened doors for the ministry of Paul also, for where the church was growing. Now, I'm going to move on to that last point, which is asking the question, what is the win in evangelism? I want to quickly just redefine the win for evangelism. So let me ask you that question. When would you say, did we evangelize? 
I mean, if we do what in church, will you go home and say, tonight evangelism happened? Or today, when I was doing this and this and this, I evangelized. Evangelism took place. When do you tick that box? When, you know, what's the win in evangelism? Is it, I think for most of us, we think it's that moment when someone says the sinner's prayer, right? If someone says the sinner's prayer and they decide to follow Jesus, that's the moment, that's the win. Well, what if evangelism is not so much a moment, but rather this journey that God is on with people. Remember in the beginning I said that God is the true evangelist. Now look at this picture. Maybe, what if, you know, if we speak about discipleship, we all agree that we are on this road of discipleship, right? I mean, no one, none of us would say, that moment is when I was discipled. Like it's not, it's not a moment, right? It's a continuous journey as you become more and more like Jesus. God is the one busy discipling you and he's busy using different voices, different people in your life to disciple you on this road of discipleship. But what if evangelism is the same? What if God is busy with a person because he loves that person so much and he's on a journey helping that person to take one step closer to God and he uses one person to do that. And then he uses another person to help that person take another step. And then another person, another situation to help that person take another step closer to God. And evangelism is this journey. You know, imagine evangelism as the scale. So just for a moment, I didn't get this from the Bible or anything like that, but just imagine this picture of a scale of someone being very far from God, like, you know, minus 10, minus 10. Zero is that moment when you start following Jesus. Minus 10 is, you know, I don't believe in God and I also hate that God that I don't believe in. Right, very far from God. Maybe minus five is like, yeah, maybe there is a being out there. I just don't know if it's a personal God. I don't know about this Jesus being the son of God. Minus three is like, yeah, I think maybe Jesus did exist. I just don't know if I want to follow him. Right, and then zero is like a disciple is born. Just imagine that for a moment. What if the win is just when someone takes one step closer to God? And the way that God uses you is for that person that's a minus 10 and a half and you're just nice to him or her. And afterwards they say, I like you. You're not like the other Christians. They're all weird. But you're different. And he moved that half a point. Now he doesn't hate all Christians. He just hates all Christians except you. <laughs> right? That's a win. It's one step closer. What if we started celebrating all of those moments and we allow God to be the evangelist that is busy walking the road with people. That takes the pressure off you and it will also take the pressure off our friends to like after they said, hey, you're, you're a nice guy for a Christian. And then you turning to them, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Not saying you're never going to have that opportunity, but trusting the Holy Spirit to actually work. See, maybe the goal is not to get someone to the finish line. Maybe the goal is to trust God and allow him to use you in different situations as all of us love people and share the good that we have in our hearts with them. Now, I remember when I got saved, let me just ask the question quickly like this and I'll wrap up with one uh, illustration. My friend Theo, he invited me to church and then the next day, and, and you know, he could invite me because he was at a party. Everyone was trying to get drunk, but not Theo. 
And we had a good conversation. He invited me. I said, Theo, I like you. I'm going to come. Then I went to church. And then my other friend, Vitpit, he preached the gospel. And he asked, is there anyone that would like to start following Jesus? I said, yes, that's me. Now, let me ask you the question. Who was the evangelist in my story? Was it Theo? Was it Vitpit? Was it my parents that prayed for me and taught me about Jesus since a young age? Or was it the Holy Spirit? And then I went to my roommate. My roommate said, Darren, he said, oh, well, you don't swear as much as you used to. I see something's changed. We started speaking about God. I invited him to home cell. He says, I don't know what a home cell is, but I'm going to come. And he comes to home cell. The third time he comes, he has a conversation with the, the home cell leader, Tim, and he gives his life to Jesus. Who was the evangelist in his story? Was it me? Was it Tim? Was it other people that were praying for, for Darren at different points? Or was it God himself that was busy doing this work in Darren's life? Then Darren goes to his friend Piet that played lock with him in the team, the rugby team. And he says, Piet, there's this thing called a home cell. I'm still not sure what it is, but you need to come and change my life. And Piet comes. He speaks to Tim. His life changes. Who was the evangelist in Piet's life? Was it Darren? Was it Tim? Was it the people that prayed for him? Was it his parents? Or was it God busy working? What if we took the pressure off ourselves and allowed God to do his work? Let me ask you this question. What if evangelism is not an individual sport like tennis? You see, in tennis, if you play bad, you lose the game. But what if evangelism is more like a sport like the, the holy game of rugby? More like a team sport. And let me just quickly explain how rugby works for, to the worship team. So... Rugby, we know that the ultimate goal is to score a try, right? Is to get points on the board, to kick a penalty, score a try, win the game. But if you love rugby, you celebrate when they steal a line out, when they win a line out, when they take their scrum, when someone makes a turnover, when there's meters gained, when there's a big tackle. We love all of it because it's all part of the game. And all of it is busy contributing to scoring the try. If the lock doesn't win the line out, and the scrum off doesn't swing the ball wide, the wing can't score in the corner. What if that friend of yours that you've got a concern for, what if God is just calling you to win the line out? Just win the line out. Because the evangelist, the true evangelist, he will do his work. See, all of us are included in this reference and God wants to use us. Let's all stand together. I'd like to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.